For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. Well, it would be must be neat as a kid to be in New York a lot, and yet you had Scottsdale. You know, um, the last family trip we took before COVID, February of 2020, was to Scottsdale. We spent uh, about eight, nine days there yeah. climbing Camelback Mountain. We we rented this Airbnb right by the uh, fashion mall there. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. Uh, it was really just a great. We actually drove out to the Grand Canyon. It was a lot of fun. It's it's it, February is the perfect time. That's the best best month of the year by far. Um, yeah, my dad lives five minutes from Camelback, so that that used to be my morning workout routine, which was I was spoiled. I didn't I didn't realize it at the time. Yeah, that it's that is really really cool. So well, Nashville's pretty. Uh yeah yeah most of the time, <clears throat> and then I mean I just I've never lived with winter before, and so winter comes around, and then everything kind of just turns gray. And and you're looking around, and you're like, where'd the sun go? And, and I haven't seen it for a week. And why do I feel so sad? Oh, it's because I haven't seen the sun in a week. <laughs> but yeah, you, you, I've you, never had that about, in my life. You're talking about Nashville? Yeah, yeah. But I I know Nashville's not even close compared to like a Michigan. I was going to say, come, come visit me in January in Michigan or February in Michigan. We'll talk about what winter's like, my friend. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> there's a reason why I didn't go more north than than Tennessee because I don't think I could do it. Now, I, I have a brother who lives in Murfreesboro, actually, oh, yeah. Yeah. and uh, he really likes it there. And I think, you know, you get all four seasons and, and, and yeah, it gets cold, but not quite as bad as it is here. So, yeah. Um, well, I, I don't, um, have you, did you do a podcast with Jason? No. Okay. So this is the first time we're, we're a very, uh, I run a very informal operation over here. And so the process is we just talk for roughly an hour. Uh, and that's okay. about it. So it's very, very simple. I don't even know what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be a great time. All right. Sounds good. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about this, like I said, because there are three books I recommend. If somebody asks me, what are your top books? I've read, uh, I've read every, I've read, I've had a good reading habit mm, since high school, uh, but I've been really consistent for about five years now. So my rule is I read 10 pages a day, every single day. 365 days a year. Doesn't matter where I am, how tired I am. It's a non-negotiable. Wow, and, that's great. Well, it, it, it does, it's not very much every day, but then you, you stack up the books. And so it, I have books everywhere now. And there's three books. Of all those books I've, I've read, there's three books I recommend to everybody if somebody asks. I don't go around. I'm not one of those people. You, you need to read this book. But if someone messages me, what books do you recommend? How to Win Friends and Influence People 
is the first book I recommend. And I've read it. It's probably the book that I've read the most times cover to cover of any book I've ever read. That's great. I'm a huge, huge fan of the principles. And I tell people, hey, if you see the date it was written, don't, don't freak out. Because if you didn't see that date, you, there's only a few references here or there that dated, but otherwise you would never know because it is completely timeless. The principles. Totally Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so you, uh, you did not write the book, but, <laughs> but you, since it was written a while ago, but you, you had this organization now, how did you, how did you initially get in with, with Dale Carnegie? Yeah. So, so, you know, Aaron, just a little background because, uh, you know, just like you talk about that book, that book is the, the most, maybe that book and the Bible are the two most influential books I've ever read. And, um, you know, and, and for a good part of my life, I've, I've had that book, you know, within 10 feet of wherever I am. Um, yeah. But, you know, my, my father, you know, was someone who always really talked about improvement and growth. And when I was a teenager, he introduced me to, to Dale, to Hanawa and Friends. And I, I, I remember, you know, kind of being familiar with it a little bit, but it wasn't until I took a Dale Carnegie course as a young man. I was a young lawyer mm. and I wanted to advance in my career. And I took this course and I started to really dig into the book and I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is just so powerful. It truly, that program and that book truly changed my entire career trajectory, my entire life, because at that time, you know, my goal was, uh, it had been to join a big law firm, become a partner, make a lot of money, do this for decades. And, uh, and here I am in this class. And one of the things we talked about was vision, you know, what's your vision for yourself? Yeah. And I realized that I, I was a successful lawyer, but not necessarily a happy lawyer. And I ultimately left the practice of law. But the other thing, going back to what you're saying about the principles, because these principles, you know, the, these, these golden book uh, principles, um, you know, I started to practice these every single day. Just like you said, you know, you were telling me you, you read 10 pages a day. Every day I would practice a principle for years. Mm. I would pick a principle. I'd write it down. I'd have a quote. I would have a scale from one to 10. And I'd say, All right, how did I do today? So every day I would review it. And I'd say, gosh, you know, don't criticize academic complaint. I didn't do very well on this one today. So I'll work on this one. So, I mean, I literally worked on those principles for years. And what happened was people started to notice that uh -huh. I was becoming uh, more approachable, more empathetic, uh, better with people. I left the law. I went into a, a company. I, I excelled in the company. And I think a, a big reason that I did is because I was able to really work with people and just get outside of myself. Um, I ultimately left that and started my own business. Dale Carnegie became my first customer. I developed an e-learning company uh, in the early 2000s and, and developed e-learning to reinforce the Dale Carnegie principles in the sales program, the leadership program, the Dale Carnegie course. Uh, we had other clients. So ultimately, I sold that business, became the president of another company. And then in 2015, uh, I was invited into the process when they were looking for a new CEO. And after a very, very rigorous uh, interviewing process and battery of psychological tests and all these different things that, that I had to go through is uh, yeah. they, they picked me. So it was great. Yeah. I can imagine that is a taxing job interview. <laughs> it was a taxing job interview. And I, and I got to tell you, I, and I'm humbled because I, I know they, they interviewed a lot of people. And, yeah. um, but I, I, you know, to, to even to your question, uh, I mean, this work of Dale Carnegie, Dale Carnegie is brilliant. Um, and, and the more, I, I read his work or I study it or I try to, you know, I wrote a book of, uh, with uh, his grandson, Michael Crom called Take Command, as you know. And, 
and, and in that process, I'm, I'm just discovering, it's like, oh my gosh, I mean, how brilliant Dale Carnegie was. How, that's why, I mean, we say, why is this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, been a bestseller for 87 consecutive years? It's exactly like you said, it's timeless. And it, it goes to who we are today, just like it did way back then. Well, it's timeless and it's just so simple. And, and he was an absolute master in human psychology. But he could explain it in such simple terms and made everything so relatable and there's a story with everything and here's how it looks like in practice. So you you walk away from each chapter like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I get it. Um, and there's very few books that are written in such a simple – it's such a complex thing is relationships, human psychology – but just boiled down into these very, very, very simple to understand principles. Like one of my favorites is, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying it the right way, but uh, the principle of being, you know, you're going to make a lot more friends being interested in others than trying to get people interested in you. And yeah. once you, once you really knock that into your head, you, you just, uh, you end up talking a lot less. <laughs> you, you end up actually focused on other people, and then That's you really actually true. get better results. And, and even to this day, I mean, daily, I am still like, I want to talk right now. And then I have to go, just shut up, just shut up, just shut up, just stop. And then I just, I, I get so into whoever I'm talking to that, that like, that's the conversation and that will carry me further than, than anything I can say to them about me. Uh, it just is so, so powerful. Yeah, it's it's insightful and it's contrarian, right? Because on one hand, we think, well, if we want people to be interested in us, we should tell them about us. Mm -hmm. and, and we like to talk about us, right? But, but, you know, he's got a great story on how to win friends in that chapter that you're talking about where he, he, he went to a dinner party and he's talking to someone who was a botanist. And he didn't know the first thing about botany. He spent the entire evening just asking questions and listening. And he, he found exactly as you said. As he was learning, he was getting intrigued. He was he was interested. Yeah. He forgot about himself. And at the end of the conversation, the person had commented on, well, you are just the best conversationalist. And he's thinking to himself, <laughs> I didn't say anything, you know, yeah. but but, you know, it, it's uh, he, he he gave that person respect. He helped that person feel important. And he was genuinely interested in that person and wanting to learn about them. And he left understanding something he, he knew nothing about. So yeah. it's really a, a win-win when we, when we really try to understand people and learn from them. There's a great quote that he has in that, that chapter, I think, as well, which is from Ralph Waldo Emerson, which is that every person I meet is my superior in some way. In that, mm. I learn from, from him or her. And, um, and it's really true. It's like, okay, so I'm talking to Aaron. What can I, I, I want to learn from Aaron. Aaron has yeah. had a whole set of you. You've had all kinds of different experiences. You know, things I didn't know. And it's like, it's kind of fun to learn. So when we put ourselves in that mindset toward other people, as opposed to just, Hey, let me tell you all about me. Who, who likes those conversations? You know? Well, and, and those have become some of my favorite conversations is when I get to talk to somebody really excited and knowledgeable about a specific subject. And potentially some, a subject that I know nothing about, like botany, for example. But you just start talking to somebody that's really fired up about botany. It is so fascinating and so much fun to listen because because they're just so fired up and they know so much. And every time I walk away from conversation like them, like even though I didn't talk, I'm, I I get a lot out of it because I'm like, wow, that even even if I didn't understand what they were saying because it's a complex subject, I'm just excited about how excited they are. That's so so cool that they have that. Um, 
And I run into that a lot in the trades. You have people that are absolute masters at uh, just very specific things and listening to them talk is awesome. Like every time I get to listen to a mechanic, like a, a technician, heavy equipment technician, talk about what they're doing on a machine. I, I, that's one of my favorite questions is when I, when I walk into a cat shop, someone's working on something. I'll just explain like, so what are you doing here? And most of it goes over my head. I don't understand wiring harnesses and hydraulics and all that. But I love listening to them explain it. And I, I love trying to understand it uh, in a simpler way. Um, so, yeah, it's just that's a good example of a great principle. And I'm obviously By the way, I, I have, very excited I, about I, this. I agree with you 100%. I had the same experience. So when I left the law, um, the first job I went into, I would join a company called the Taubman Company. Taubman is one of the largest developers, managers of shopping malls in the country. It's a million square foot of shopping malls. And they, they do construction. So they, they manage site development, construction, uh, retail, all of the uh, leasing, et cetera. And I remember standing at a site that was being developed. And I, had, I was talking to this uh, construction manager. And, he, and this is a guy who'd been doing it for 40 years. And I was, I don't know, my late 20s. And I just, I said, can you just tell me about this? We just stood there and I listened to him for like an hour, just telling him like, oh my gosh, you know, it was just absolutely intriguing. And there, there's a, there's a great Chinese proverb. I think I'm going to, I might butcher it, but it's something that you can learn more from a wise person in one conversation than you can from a, a month of book studying. Mm -hmm. You know, so when, when you're talking to someone, whether it's the, the, the heavy machine person or a technician or, or, I mean, someone who knows something, it's like, you know, it helps us. We, we, we you know, I mean, you know, we're, we're not selfish in the process. We're trying to learn from somebody, you know, listen to somebody else and so forth, but, but we benefit, you know, yeah. by, by giving them our, our time and attention. Now, one thing about the book, when I recommend it, and I know Dale Carnegie is not just this one book, but this is a good starting point. Um, how to win friends and influence people. I feel like the title itself catches people up a little bit because they they're like, well, what, what do you mean? Like, are you saying I need to I need friends and then influence people? It's like I feel like people think influence is mm, that feels a little icky. Uh, I don't I don't know about that. And I don't, I don't really need to influence people in my position or whatever it is. But it, it's pretty quick to ex it's easy to explain to them. Well, you influence people every single day of your life. And if you're not deliberate about it, you're just like a plastic bag in the wind. And that is a, that's a very, very bad, bad existence. That's a bad way to live. And even it's not, a, it's not just about business. It's uh, if you're a parent with children, you are influencing your children every single day. If you are in a relationship, you have influence. And it's not, I think people take influence and make it into manipulation. It's not manipulation. Um, that's, that's what a relationship is. It's it's two people influencing one another and their behaviors. Um, I just feel like the title catches people up a little bit in that regard. It can, you know, and I, I wonder if that's even something as that term has changed over the year. Although I think that over the years, I think the term influence is actually something that is um, taking on even a different connotation because I'm hearing a lot of people talking about, especially in business, people are talking about the importance of, of being of influence. And really, yeah. what influence means is. Look, I, you know, in, how do I communicate my ideas? You know, how, how do I share my ideas or the things that I think are important? Because I want to have an impact, you know, and if, if I, you know, and we think about all these things like uh, agility and resilience and creativity and, you know, all those things are fine. But if, if I can't um, have an impact on the direction, if I, if I, maybe I, I have an answer, but if I can't 
express that or communicate that, you know, people want to advance in their careers. Well, how do they do that if they can't communicate effectively, if they can't interact with people, they don't understand human relations. I mean, so, you know, really, it's just it's a natural part of who we are, as you said, just, you know, we're, we're human beings. And part of being a human being is the desire to express ourselves, to to have influence. Yeah. Um, and if we're not effective or, you know, and, and you think about what even is underlying that, you know, um, we need to have confidence. A lot of people don't have confidence. A lot of people are worried about how they, they look or how they come off or they have imposter syndrome. They think that, gosh, you know, I'm not really, I, sh- I, I shouldn't be in this position or they compare themselves to other people. So the concept of being able to, to have influence really touches on a lot of other things that go beneath it. And, you know, you mentioned Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Another book, which is a masterpiece in my mind, is How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Because that really goes to the even some of those those things about, gosh, what, what, do I have anxiety? Do I worry? What do I worry? Why do I stress? You know, why do I make a big thing out of something that's not? So, you know, if, if we want to lead other people or have influence, we have to start with ourselves. And, yeah. and so that that book, I think, is also really a, a, a critical. And confidence. I, I I made the mistake of thinking you either have it or you don't. Uh, and, and that's just not how it works. I I've always been naturally low confidence and I've had to deliberately build my confidence. Uh, but I didn't really understand that until I became an adult and, and started to build my confidence largely through doing hard things, keeping my word, something like reading 10 pages a day that helps build my confidence. Cause I say, this is a non-negotiable. I'm going to do this. And every day I do it. I, I, yeah, I kept my word today. I, I did what I needed to do. I've built that confidence here and there, but even I, I struggle with it, but with, with all of this and especially human, uh, just communication, I think people mistakenly think they understand communication because they communicate with people. That's true. Yeah, very true. <laughs> and, and, and I, it's like, because you have a driver's license, you can drive a race car. That's not how it works. Uh, it, it's, it's sure it's the same thing. But it's very different. <laughs> and yeah, there's an art. There's definitely an art to communication. There, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you have to become a student of communication. Uh, and and once you become that that curious student, uh, it opens up so many doors. It's a little overwhelming at first because you start to understand, like, oh wow, <laughs> I have been making a lot of dumb errors here. Uh, but it's it's also so exciting at the same time. Well, even sometimes. How do people perceive communication? I think some people think communication simply is me telling you something. You know, yeah. I, I communicated to Aaron. But what? But but you know, part of what Dale Carnegie says, you know, he he talks a lot about the audience. You know, how do you connect with another person? Is there two way dialogue? Are we speaking to someone in a way that that connects with them? You know, one of his principles is, you know, uh, really to arouse the other person in eager want. You know, how do I get someone to, to want to change? You know, so yeah. I can tell you something. I can tell my kids something. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm communicating effectively. I may have expressed my opinion, but not communicated. Communication really is something that's two way and it is an art and it's something that takes practice and learning. And, but it's really cool because when we can communicate effectively, then we can, we can build trust. We can have a good relationship with people, but, um, communication involves listening, right? It's not just talking, but it's like, oh, I want to listen to what Aaron has to say And, and not just even listening, but. I really want to make sure I do. I, do I understand that, Aaron? You, you said this. Here's what I heard. What I think you said is this: is that is that right? And and then when you when when I say that, you you know when you feel heard and understood, 
it's like, yeah, okay. So Joe understands. We talk about empathy a lot, you know, and empathy isn't necessarily just like, hey, I, it, people think empathy and sympathy are the same, but you know, empathy, can I try to see things from your point of view? Um, yeah. And people appreciate that level of respect. Yeah. And I've, I've started speaking more and more over the past two years, especially. And when I did it initially, it was, I was all wrapped up in me. I was still trying to deliver value, but it was about me. Uh, it was really about surviving and, and getting up there and not stuttering and delivering a cohesive message. But then, uh, you know, a few months ago, I started to, to basic communication principle, make it about the audience, not you, you dummy. And once I started to frame it in, okay, what, what is, how can I bring this specific audience the most value and, and forget about me, me, I don't, no one cares about me. What they care about is them and what they can do to better themselves, better their businesses, whatever. And as soon as I started framing it like that, oh, oh, this makes a lot more sense. And now I'm even, I'm, I'm so excited to go talk to people because it almost took the anxiety away. It's, it's not about me. They don't care about me. They don't care how I look. They just want to get better. And, and if I can help them do that in some small way, that's a win, uh, which is, it's, Something like that is a very, very exciting, uh, a very exciting realization for me recently. Yeah, I mean, it's such a huge insight you had, Aaron, because um, you know we, we have one of one of my favorite programs that we offer. I think one of the, the, the most powerful programs is called High Impact Presentations, and it's really about how do I deliver a high impact presentation or a mm -hmm. powerful talk, whether it's with a one on one conversation or with a group. And one of the things we always say is, you know, if you feel nervous, and it's natural to be nervous, right? But if you really have a lot of anxiety and so forth before a talk, the first question you can ask yourself is, who am I thinking about? Mm -hmm. Am I thinking about myself or am I thinking about the audience? Chances are, uh, if I'm really anxious, I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about, oh, gosh, I'm trying to memorize these words. Am I going to say these things right? How do I look? Yeah. I don't want to look stupid. All these different things. It's like, stop. Okay, you know, if I am talking about something that I'm excited about, I've earned the right to talk about it, I'm eager to share it, um, and then I'm thinking about the audience. It's like, I want to give this to the audience as a gift, right? It's yeah. like, how do I impact even one person in a powerful way? Now I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking inward, I'm thinking outward. So that, that insight that you had uh, is really an important part of um, communication and, and becoming really a powerful presenter. I know people uh, speaking is something that terrifies a lot of people. Why, why, why are people so terrified about public speaking? I, again, I, I think it goes to the, the point that you're making, which is uh, I think people are worried about how they're going to look. Yeah. We worry about looking stupid. We look, worry about being embarrassed. We worry about being laughed at. And a lot of these things even go back to this even our own childhood, being in a classroom. And what are people going to say about me? And, you know, we, we've got these kind of innate uh, we're wired, I think, from a, uh, a safety and security mindset a little bit, um, even emotionally, to protect ourselves and to be mm -hmm. defensive. And so, you know, so we might have some of these, these things just kind of hard, hardwired into who we are as, as people. Um, so, but that, I think that's, that's, that's fundamentally, you know, what, what's at stake. And, and then there's, we, we can go out from there. It's like, oh, if I, if I give a bad presentation, how's this going to look at me? How's it going to affect my job? How's it going to affect my livelihood? Or what are people, you know? What are people going to say on social media or whatever, you know? So, yeah. uh, but, but all those things, I think, come to a common root, which uh, really is, you know, uh, a fear or a worry about how I am perceived.
Mm-hmm. Uh, and frankly, one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older, and I've, I have the wisdom of, of uh, a, few, a few, maybe a few more years than you have. Um, I'm in my, I'm 55. But um, so just by virtue of, of, of those years, I've realized, you know, when I was younger, I used to worry so much about what people thought. And um, it's just kind of like you said, I think, you know, you go to a party and we're thinking about ourselves. What are, who are other people thinking about? They're thinking about themselves. They don't care. Yeah. About yeah. me, yeah. you know. So, so why am I so worried about it? So it's kind of liberating when, when we when we 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 realize that all this pressure we put on ourselves. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's important to think about how we're presenting and how we're coming on off and 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 dressing for success and all those kinds of things. And uh, it's important that those things don't uh, have an oversized uh, role in our our perception of things. Yeah, and as a, as as you're talking, I'm trying to think through how to make this relatable in the construction world because that's what we talk about typically. And you know, I was thinking, well, there's there's really no public speaking for people in construction. Uh, but then I thought, well, wait a minute, there's a something called a, a like a, a toolbox talk in the mornings or a job hazard analysis where everybody gets together in the morning first thing before they go to work and they huddle up. So it's a it's a circle depending on how big the job is, is, is how big the circle is. Uh, it's funny. It's like, it's like kindergarten, you know, everybody getting in the circle and, and listen up. And uh, the supervisor, superintendent foreman will talk to the crew. And so sometimes it's a foreman talking to three people. Sometimes it's, it's a project manager talk, talking to a hundred, but there is, now that I'm thinking about it, there's public speaking on just about every single job site in America, almost every single day. And yet, that's a that's a very valuable opportunity if you know what to do with it. But mm, I would say like nine point eight out of ten job meetings I, I attend are identical. They're all exactly the same. You could just take one hard hat off, put the other one on with another company logo. You wouldn't know the difference. Uh, but but that's just such a great opportunity to to lead, to communicate more effectively, to become more productive, to be safer. If you have the skills to take advantage of the opportunity, but I see a lot of people, they don't have those skills and it's not their fault. They've just never been, they've never had the opportunity to learn them anywhere. Well, you know, everything you're saying is, is dead on. Um, at the end of the day, uh, whether it's three people or 50 people, we're still communicating. It's still person to person. And the question is, how do I interact with another, another human being? And, you know, in the construction industry, again, which is something I know a little bit about having spent some time in, in it. Um, you know, there, there are people with different roles and different responsibilities, and we have to communicate. We have to communicate clearly. And we, we've often got to inspire action around something, how something's going to be done or the way it's going to be done or when it's going to be done or whatever the case might be. So, you know, I can tell someone to do that. You go do this, you know, or I can, um, I can communicate in a way that um, at least to demonstrate some understanding of, hey, well, we've got these challenges over here. Well, well tell me about the challenges. What are, what are, the, what are you worried about? You know, and whether it's 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 a person who's doing construction work, whether it's an architect or someone who's on the site or an engineer or someone who's doing sales, or, or I mean, there's a whole range of people that are involved, and, but all of it involves person-to-person communication. So mm-hmm. um, the skills that we're talking about, even though we're, we were talking a moment ago about hey, maybe standing up on a stage, um, but we're, we're all of our, our communication is uh, a degree of the same thing. We're, we're expressing our ideas. We're trying to connect with people. 
Um, we want to influence in a positive way. We want to get great results. So it really doesn't matter kind of what, what role I have. I, these are still skills I have to have. And by the way, and, and some people we know are good at it. Some people, um, they've got good emotional control. Um, you know, they, 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 someone, someone can get frustrated or angry or lash out or whatever. And that has a certain impact on employee engagement, whether someone's going to stay with us, say, hey, I don't need this. Forget it. I'm out. Mm-hmm. You know, or whether I can just really uh, uh, be more inspirational, uh, understand where someone's coming from, listen to it, listen to an idea and so forth. So, um, again, it's, it's multifaceted, but it, it's all people. It's all people skills. Yeah. And on the frustration side of things, uh, uh, something I've tried to do over the past few years is just be aware of when I'm frustrated and, or, or flustered. Or start to get emotional or, or, or stressed. And, and I'll try to pick up on it. And oh, oh, I'm, I am, I'm getting worked up right now. And then as soon as I'm able to, I have that awareness now, I catch it and then bring it out into the light. And then that, it, it goes away pretty quick. Uh, most of the time, you know, sometimes the anxiety sticks with me, but I've, I've even tried because I know, uh, you know, um, emotion is, is a key part of communication. But you wanna you wanna have it directed. You don't want it. You just don't want the horse out of the barn because then good things I've found don't happen. And so even even with my own communicating, I've tried to just step one recognize. Oh, I need to just stop right now because I'm getting a little worked up, and I need to just remove myself until I'm good to go, and then I'll get back in the game. Because if I keep going, I'm gonna I'm gonna screw something up. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And you know, but to have that kind of introspection, you know, where you can look inside and, and realize that it's really, really um, valuable. Sometimes we don't, you know, sometimes we look at other people, we, we say, guys, this person's just a difficult person. Hey, sometimes I can be the difficult person. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, we, we try to analogize it a little bit, right? You know, to the, say you got the oil light in your car, you know, the oil light in your car starts blinking. You're like, gosh, you know, I wish this thing wasn't going off, but it's, it's warning me that if I don't do something, I'm going to have a problem. And, and, frustration and, and irritation and some of these negative kinds of emotions that, that it's like, if I start to feel those, it's like timeout. I need to back off right now and kind of work through this. Otherwise this could go someplace not very good. Um, yeah. and, and frankly, sometimes it does go to a place that's not very good. And there are times that I've said things to people that I've regretted, but the difference is I've gone back. I, I try to think about these, but every day, you know, you talked about kind of that consistent habit of reading 10 pages of a book every day. One of the consistent things I try to do every day to make sure I'm, I'm focused on good relationships, and I know we have all have blind spots, is to take time every morning and just to reflect on the prior day and to think, oh, gosh, you know, what, what, what went well? What did not go well? Do I, do I, I mean, many times I'm like, gosh, you know, I really don't like the way I uh, came off to so-and-so, and I'll, I'll go back and apologize. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that Dale Carnegie, you know, teaches in How to Win Friends and Influence People is, you know, look, if you're wrong, uh, admit it quickly and emphatically. Say you're sorry. Uh, make you know, make amends and keep the relationship going in a positive way. We all make mistakes. We all know we yeah. make mistakes. So um, it's it's important to be able to own those. Yeah, and I that's another habit I've tried to create too. Is uh, I, I write. I have a little notebook, and my rule is I have to write one page a day. And it doesn't matter what I write on that page. I just have to write one page. And a lot of times, it's me analyzing conversations that I've had that day, interactions that I've had, like, yeah, I, I, you know what, that was really stupid. Like, why, why did I do that? Or here's how I felt after that conversation, or "Mm, I got worked up by this. Um, and just trying, 
I think, I don't know if I read it in this book or another book or where I learned it, but auditing your day and auditing your conversations and relationships is crazy, crazy powerful. Because again, I think it's a lot of people just go through life just assuming uh, just like a plastic bag in the wind. It's just, they're just being carried wherever the day takes them. Uh, but when you realize that, wow, I'm actually in control of the relationships I have in my life, the quality of relationships I have, the quality of communication and, and, and ideas that I have, it's so, it's so cool and make things, it makes things so much more fun. It, it so, doesn't make it, it doesn't make it easier, but it makes it more, more exciting at least. So I'm curious, t- tell me, I'd love to hear about how you do that. So do you, do you have a specific time of the day that you go back and you reflect or do you do, you do it throughout the day? You've got your notebook and something comes up and you write it down. I mean, what, what's your process? Uh, it's typically every evening uh, when, when I read. So I kind of do everything. I call, it, I call it doing my chores every day. So that's one of my chores I have to do. Um, but it's, it's just stream of consciousness. So whatever's on my head, uh, whatever's in my head, and it, it, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no format to it. I just start writing. Um, and it's just about how I've felt, cool stuff I did today, what I did for my workout. Hey, I felt great. And this is why. I met this person. It was really cool. It, it just goes all over the place. Um, but it's nice to have a moment to at least audit every single day. And then I know, like I've been doing it for years now, I have all these notebooks of everything I've done for years now. Maybe I'll want that one day. Or, or maybe I can go back you know, two years from now and look back on what, I, what was I thinking two years from now and, and, and even just recognize, wow, I... Okay, I know I'm not where I want to be, but I'm at least not as much of a dummy as I was two years ago, or that's the hope. Um, yeah. It's just a, a cool habit I think I've picked up and, and stuck with. Well, it's so valuable because, you know, as you said, people can, it, all of us, we can get swept up by our days or weeks or months. You know, it's like here we are, you know, it's uh, September 15th today when we're recording this. Um, gosh, it seems like yesterday was January 1st and tomorrow's going to be January 1st. You know, it's yeah. like, Hey, um, making sure that we're creating time in our day to, t- to take stock. Otherwise, it's so easy, at least for me, to just wake up and like, all right, what do I got going on today? Get going on emails or texts or whatever else. It's like, no, I mean, my routine's in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, more than the evening, just because I, I'm, I'm good in the morning. It sounds like you're good in the evening. Uh, my, my creative juices are first thing in the morning, so I kind of have that time. But, but whatever it is for somebody, if it's you at night or me in the morning, but to, to take that time, and to spend some some time thinking about what's important to us. So what do I have to get done today? What are the relationships I need to work on? It's I think part of that is really building a mindset um, that is really important in having good relationships and living the life that we want to want to live. Yeah, and I, I think I've been so serious about it because what I've realized recently, and this is a realization in the past 60 days probably, I started this company uh, about five and a half years ago now. And when you start a company, you can give yourself whatever title you want. And I quickly became, uh, you know, technically speaking, I, I didn't, I didn't call myself this, and and it's never really been on my LinkedIn, but or or like like I just made up my title on LinkedIn, for example. But technically, founder and CEO, and and then and then the business grows, and you're just the chief executive officer of this growing business. But what I realized was, I'm not really a chief executive officer. Just because I say I'm a chief executive officer, do I have the skill set necessary to be a chief executive officer? Do I communicate in a way a chief executive officer would? 
Do I, do I lead? Do I have that level of confidence? And I've recognized that I'm a founder. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Founder of this business. But I feel like I need to grow into that chief executive officer position. So in my mind, I've almost given up that position. And I've said, you know what? Here's what needs to happen for me to actually earn that. And I need to earn that because that's an earned position. That's not just because I call myself uh, the chief executive officer. Um, and it's been a humbling, uh, a slice of humble pie to recognize that just because I call myself something doesn't make it so. And I need to, I need to, I need to grow to make that a reality. In fact, I mean, it's, it's a powerful insight. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to figure out the degree to which I agree. And uh, I mean, you know, you've got a, and I think it's critical to have, and I, I try to have this too. It's just a, this continuous growth mindset, this learning, adapting, and getting better mindset. And, um, you know, and, and at the same time, sometimes we can be our own worst critics. I think one of the biggest yeah. challenges that we all have in, is we can, we can be, we can be vicious about how we, we speak to ourselves, the things we say to ourselves. We can undermine ourselves. We can say, I'm not worthy of this or I'm not good enough for this. And, and then that can lead to a lot of anxiety. And I'm not saying that that's, that's what your situation sounds like. Well, your, 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 your view has been very, very constructive. Yeah. Um, you know, my, I guess my thought is that, you know, a, 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 another approach might be to say, you know, I am the chief executive officer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in how do I, I mean, and I'm, I'm, look, I, I'm, I'm a CEO of this company. I've been at Dale Carnegie for eight years. I've, you know, found my own company many years ago. I've been the president of a company. Um, I'm always going to be growing. I'm always going to be striving to become a better leader. I, I always look for mentors and, and, and ways that I can get better. And I, I am embracing kind of where I am right now. I'm going to do the very best I can and I'm going to continue to grow. And, um, I think sometimes, Aaron, you know, um, we need to look back to look forward. I always say that, which is, you know, so they say, do I have the confidence to, to do what I need to do? It's like, well, no, I, I've done a lot of really good things. You know, I mean, I like your, your journal. I, I do too. I've got my, you know, this is, this is one of many of my journals. I, I, I keep them with me all the time. But I'm looking back and saying, you know, I've, I've done a lot of things that are really good. I need to make sure I remind myself. This is something Dale Carnegie talks about. It's like almost having this constant conversation with ourselves, if you will. Um, giving ourselves a pep talk, reminding ourselves of the things that, that are really good. Yeah. So the fact that you founded a business, that's huge. The fact that your business has grown as successfully as, you, as it has tells me you got to have some, some really mad uh, organizational skills and people skills, you know, great skills. Um, you know, so I don't know. I mean, it seems like you, you, you've earned the right to that role based on the success you've had. But um, I, I, I'm with you in terms of just constantly trying to uh, improve and push ourselves. No, that, that, makes, that, makes, that makes good sense. I, if I'm you still, don't mind my saying, I'm not trying to be presumptuous. You know, no, I'm, just, I'm just acknowledging what you've yeah. built and what you've done in a short period of time. And, and, and frankly, the, the, the vision that you have for this industry, which is so important, and, you know, and, and the, the vision that you've cast and the ability to execute behind it, you know, so um, those, those are really, really important, uh, important skills. And, and I, I think, too, sometimes we all have we've got skills that sometimes we may not even see or acknowledge in ourselves. We, by the way, we've also got blind spots um, that we need to work on. I mean, I'm constantly trying to figure out what are the blind spots I can get rid of and improve on. But um, yeah, I just I, I, I want to make sure that, that we all give ourselves uh, some credit when credit is due. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess the principles that are taught 
and how to win friends and influence people is you like you said you can turn them inward like don't criticize for example because with yourself even it's it's destructive in a lot of ways well i mean and, yeah and i guess it defi- depends on how we define criticize right sure. so so but yes i mean um to be critical to complain i mean look i i am a recovering perfectionist I'm the guy who would have 10 things in a to-do list, would do nine and be mad and, and about the one thing I didn't get to. And, and, uh-huh. and what I've learned over time is to, is to say, you know what? This is great. I got to the nine, you know, and, and I'm going to get to this last, last one. So, yeah, when we apply don't criticize, condemn, and complain as an example um, to ourselves, I, I think the vast majority of us uh, people can, can be pretty, can be hyper self-critical. And, and really can take ourselves into a bad place if we let it. So, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a very important principle to uh, to keep in mind and to continue to think about how do we we want to keep getting better. You know, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm not perfect. So has it or at least in the beginning, was it was it difficult to pick up this torch and be the face of this legacy that is extraordinarily substantial? How was how was that? Yeah, it was intimidating. Um, I'd say it's it's it, it, it's a tremendous, and it remains. You know, it's an honor and a responsibility to say. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in a, in Dale Carnegie's chair. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, I, it's it's it can be overwhelming at times, and it can be humbling. Um, and it, but frankly, it fuels me with a desire to, and I think often about what are the things that Dale Carnegie would do if he were here, and how do I make sure I'm doing those things? And he was. Dale Carnegie believed that every single person has inherent greatness, and I believe that. So his whole program and everything he wrote about in our Dale Carnegie course and what our franchisees are doing today all over the world is about how to bring out the very best in other people. So, um, yeah, while it can be daunting uh, to think about just, you know, this is a global company. We've got 200 operations in 86 countries. Dale Carnegie started this with one course 111 years ago in New York City. Um, so yeah, I, I, but I look at this with just a tremendous sense of stewardship and, and really a desire to take Dale Carnegie's principles and ideas and programs to as many people on the planet as we possibly can. Because I think when people have access to this, it doesn't matter who they are. Mm-hmm. It, it could be, you know, whether I'm on a construction site or whether I'm, I'm in business or, or, uh, work in a restaurant, whatever I do, you know, these are things that can help me and just, one story I'd, I I want to be sensitive about talking too much because it's yeah. something we we teach us about listening. You're, no, you're but, you're here to talk, so this is good. Yeah, thank you. So um, I went into a program one time. This is at Middle Tennessee State University. So every business student at Middle Tennessee State University <clears throat> takes a Dale Carnegie course. It's a, it's a required part of the program if you're going to get a business degree. Wow. And one of the students, to, I was, so I'm, I'm in the back of the room, the dean's in the room, you know, our franchisees in the room. We're just watching these, these talks and this, this, you know, 20-something man stands up, he's getting his MBA, and he says, you know, um, I, 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 I'm really excited about this class, and I knew it was going to help me in my career, but let me just tell you how this is saving my marriage. And he gave a talk about applying the principles and about how it's making him a better, better person. And at the end of the day... These things that you and I are talking about right now, I would like to think, um, you know, I'd say humbly, hopefully, that that they've made me be a better leader, a better better husband. Um, you know, for almost twenty seven years now, I've been married. Um, a better father. My my kids might disagree, yeah. but uh, you know, they would tell me I need to work and uh, don't criticize, condemn, and complain. But <laughs> but these are principles that can help us. 
uh, in everything that we do. So to your original question, that's what fuels me. Um, and with the sense of just how do we help as many people as possible get access to these these treasures? We, we kind of skipped ahead. Can you just explain who was Dale Carnegie? Because he's not the only famous Carnegie uh, in U.S. history. There was Andrew Carnegie, steel magnate. Andrew, uh, Dale Carnegie was not the steel magnate. Um, he's not. That's true. Who, yep. who, was, who was this guy and, and how did he get to this position of teaching a course like this? Yeah, so it's interesting because he was he lived at the same time as Andrew Carnegie. Um, and even today, many people will confuse Dale Carnegie and Andrew Carnegie. And they'll say, yeah. oh, you know, Carnegie Mellon or Carnegie Hall and yeah, different yeah. Carnegie. So Dale Carnegie was, was born in a farm or he lived in a farm. He was born in uh, rural Missouri uh, in the late 1800s. Uh, very poor family. I mean, they really struggled to make a living as family as farmers. Um, you know, his parents aspired for him and for his brother to have a better life. They moved near a college in, uh, in Missouri, what is uh, in, in kind of central Missouri. And he learned at that time it was a teaching college. But he, he discovered in that program that he was really good at debating and at speaking. And, and he decided ultimately to, to try his hand first in sales. And so he, he went and he was selling correspondence courses uh, and he was, it was a complete failure. Um, he then went and sold, worked for a meat products company called Armor Meats. And he was really, really determined and really, really good. And he, he rose to the number one salesperson uh, in, in the country. Hmm. That's when they asked him, hey, we'd like you to be a part of management. He decided instead to take his winnings, if you, if you would, and he wanted to be a speaker. He wanted, there was this, this program called the Chautauqua Circuit, Circuit, which I think is maybe the 1900s version of TED Talks. You know, people yeah. would go over the speakers who go from city to city and people would gather around and a person would give a speech or a poem or that type of thing. And he decides to, he's going to go to New York City. Actually, he decides he wants to go to Boston at that time. First, he's going to go to Boston and, and study being a speaker. And he has a chance encounter. He's on a, on a train, I think in South Dakota or, you know, the mid, middle part of the country. And he sits next to this, this reverend who's also a speaker. And the, the, the reverend says, you don't want to go to Boston. You want to go to New York. Go and study acting mm. because then you're going to get everything you would have gotten in Boston and, uh, and you'll, you'll get these other skills. So he goes to New York and, and this is the, the uh, early 1900s. And he, he realizes he's, he's not great as an actor and doesn't really want that kind of a life. So he's struggling. He's struggling in New York City. And he decides to, he says, you know, how do I make a living? You know what I'll do? I will, um, I will give courses on public speaking. So in October of 1912, he, he stands up in a, a class in the YMCA in Harlem. And he's got people around. And he's, he's teaching about public speaking. And he sees people are kind of starting to doze off a little bit. He's running out of material. So he starts calling people up to, to, to talk. And, um, and he realizes in that moment that not only is there huge value in getting people up to talk, he sees that there are the confidence issues, that he learns about the interpersonal challenges that people have. And ultimately, that was the first Dale Carnegie course in 1912. Um, and that was the beginning of, of our company, which is 111 years uh, this year. And uh, these programs that have, have touched millions and millions of people and tens of millions of people all, all over the world. Yeah, the, the impact has just been absolutely extraordinary with how many people the organization has touched over yeah, a century of of this teaching, which is any company any company that's been around for a century 
that in itself is a really big deal. Because if you look at how many companies there are still around over a century, there's not very many of them. It is a no. very, very small list for good reason. It, it, it's really true. And you know, people will sometimes look at this and say, well, what, what is a, you know, this program uh, was started originally 100 years ago. What could that do for me today? Or this book was written, you know, 87 years ago. Well, I might turn that around and say, how in the world does a program that was started 100 years ago, how is it in, in 400 of the top, Fortune 500 companies today? How is it that tens and tens, maybe hundreds of millions, I don't know how many people have read How to Win Friends, you know, um, we know how many, we, you know, tens and tens of millions of books have been sold, but uh, how many people have read it or been impacted by it? It's because, to your original point about Dale Carnegie, he was brilliant. He was essentially an innovator around human relations and and uh, who we are as, as people and the <clears> things he, he discovered and wrote about then and, and created in our courses that people can take today. You can go and take a Dale Carnegie course today, probably in any city uh, or thereabouts, any major city in America, any state uh, all over the world. I mean, yeah. this is this is and it's been now it's been fined and built upon it and it's made even stronger. And now there's technology around it. You could do it live online or in person, or you could listen to an audible book or that type of thing. So there's different ways to access it, but uh, it's, it's, I can't imagine why anyone today would not minimally pick up how to win friends and influence people and read that book uh, or take a Dale Carnegie course. If that's something that's an option for them, because, um, it's an investment in ourselves and it's an investment in our relationships and, and uh, the quality of life we're going to have. Yeah. And it's, it wouldn't be around if it was snake oil. Like it, 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 someone would have figured it out by now. Like, wait a minute, this is not what it's, what it's, what it, what they're saying it is. It, it, if it's, if it's stood up on its, on its own two feet for a hundred years, it's, it's rock solid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, I, listen, Aaron, I got to say everywhere I go, I will talk to people all over the world. Uh, I was in India couple of weeks ago and people are coming up to me and they're telling me their Dale Carnegie stories, the impact that, that mm. it's had on them, how it's changed their lives or, or uh, had an impact on their careers or whatever it might be. People who, who were stuck at a certain level in their, their careers and then because they, they really couldn't relate to people, they couldn't kind of communicate effectively and they take one of the programs and they read the book. Um, one of my favorite stories is, you know, and I think one of the greatest leaders of our time is Alan Mulally. He's the former CEO of Ford Motor Company in Boeing. And, and he talked at our convention in 2016 about the impact that How to Win Friends had on him and his leadership at Ford. Ford, when he took over this company in 2006, was on its way into bankruptcy. And he completely turned it around and he did it using these people first kind of principles. He really engaged people effectively and created transparency and trust and and turned the company from a multi-billion dollar losing a year company to, to making billions of dollars a year. And he talked about, hey, look, these, these principles were really important in my leadership. Um, and I think, to, to, you know, we we're just talking about the impact. That's not just about, you know, him leading or the immediate people he's leading. It's, it's the communities that are touched to the, to the people. It's the families that are touching. You know, someone goes home after a, a day at work and they're working in a company with a great culture that I want to be at. Yeah. Um, that's much different than coming home after having a really, really rotten day with people who are toxic. Um, and there are plenty of companies like that and organizations like that and teams like that, that, that really are draining. So um, the Dale Carnegie principles really can help bring out the best in people and companies. 
Well, and that's and that's why we put put the Dirt World Summit together because our our premise is all right. If we really want to go grow this industry uh, into the next generation, and it's just so that this the Dirt World can support society, food, water, shelter, help with those essential needs long into the future. How do we how do we really impact everybody? And the natural starting point for that is is leadership. Well, let's let's start with the leaders because from there. You know, if you start with the right person at one organization and get them on the right track, um, that could impact the entirety of the organization. And then that doesn't just impact the organization, that impacts the companies they do business with, the families that they support within that organization, the people outside of the organization that those families interact with. The, the ripple effect is massive if you start with leadership, um, which is why I'm, I'm so excited about what we're doing next month, because... I think that's one of the biggest needs in this in this industry is it's um, construction. Everybody's really good at building stuff and solving challenges and doing hard work, but communication is not exactly not exactly uh, top tier. I would say. Well, and, and it all connects. It's communication, and that connects to how we interact with other people. It connects the kind of culture that we have. It connects to whether people want to be in the industry or be in that business or work for that that supervisor or not. And, you know, you've done such a phenomenal job. I'm excited about the Dirt World Conference, you know, of, of, of really framing uh, not just a challenge that the industry faces, but I think you've really done a great job of putting together solutions and ideas that can help the industry thrive. You know, I, because I, the, the issues that exist here in the United States are the, the, facing the construction industry are the same ones that are facing uh, the industry outside of the United States. You know, yeah. whether when I'm, I'm in India and I'm meeting with construction companies and I met with a number of them. Um, I hear the same kinds of things that I hear in the U.S. And I hear the mm -hmm. same types of things if I'm in Spain or if I'm in, you know, Europe or if I'm, you know. So, you know, you've got your thumb on the pulse of something that's really, really important. And, and you know, we're all connected to the dirt world in one way or another. So it's really an important uh, challenge to solve. Yeah, it, it's um, it's really exciting. And I, I think the one of the best things I've done in my life is the international travel, like you were saying, too, because you start to you start to recognize one that the United States is 4% of the world's population, which is very humbling. Uh, but then two human beings are human beings. It's like, Oh, um, like my favorite thing, it was, I went to the middle East, for example, and, and for the first time. So you're in Saudi Arabia or, or I went to China when I was, um, maybe 22 years old. I go to China, Saudi Arabia, somewhere completely different where I don't share the same culture, the same language, look like them, like nothing. And I'm still able to connect with these people with humor. Like there's still something funny that happens and everybody's laughing, even though like there's just this human connection there. And then, then even though the people that, that, that you're with probably don't even understand what's so funny, but because you think it's funny, they're laughing. You're like, wow, this is amazing because I'm on the other side of the world right now. And I'm having this this human, th th I'm making this human connection uh, that is just so special. It's so, I take it for granted back home, but then I'm, I'm here, we have at face value, nothing similar. And yet we're bonding over something that's funny, which I think is very cool. So I think from a, like a communication standpoint, travel has been a big help for me. Well, it's, it's certainly eye-opening because, you know, we, we all have different opinions or thoughts, or we hear things in the news about different people or cultures or cities or whatever it is. And when we experience it ourselves, 
you know, we, we can, we, I think, realize that, that we're people are the same. I mean, in the sense that we're all humans and there's certain things that connect us. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, going back to where we started and how to win friends, you know, we'd say, why is it that these principles, why is it that we've got thriving operations all over the world in all of these different countries? It's because these ideas that Dale Carnegie talks about, these principles connect us across humanity. It's, it's across cultures and religions and yeah. skin colors and genders and all kinds of things. And um, they really go to who we are. And when we, when we learn how to apply them, when we learn about other people, um, they can really help us connect way more effectively. So what does, if I were to uh, say, I'm listening to this, I'm curious, hmm, maybe I'll take a course because, yeah, I could probably communicate more effectively. I could probably, what they're talking about is interesting here. I know I have some work to do. I certainly have some work to do. How, how does someone find a course? And then what does it, the course even look like? Well, uh, the starting place could be dalecarnegie.com. Uh, and that's one place to learn about courses. Um, you know, and there are different kinds of courses. The Dale Carnegie course, which is the really kind of the flagship program that we offer, is offered in different formats. Someone might say, I, I've got, we could do offered in a three-day format. Sometimes it's once a week for three weeks. Sometimes it's eight weeks. It just depends on, on kind of where you are and how you want to take it. Some people would say, you know, I'd really have rather have a time-spaced program over eight weeks. I can practice things in between the sessions and so forth. Someone might say, like, that's great, but I don't have that. Or someone might say, I can't even get there. Is there something that's online that I can take? And, you know, there are, so there's live online versions, there's in-person versions, there's all kinds of different versions. But the starting point is DaleCarnegie.com. And frankly, what a lot of people don't know is a lot of companies um, will offer these programs. So it might be an employee going to their supervisor and saying, hey, I'd like to take one of these. Um, many companies will have uh, budgets set aside, you know, for these kinds of things. Individual tuition assistance, you know, so you'd say, hey, I want to, you know, and the company will pay for it. I mean, I'd say a high percentage of our programs are either paid for by a company or a company will have an in-house program. They'll say, you know, in fact, I, I was, uh, I just got back from um, California. I was at, at, at a dinner talking to someone who's sitting next to me and he said, he said, oh yeah, we just did a, a Dale Carnegie course for 22 of our people. We brought Dale Carnegie. And so there's different ways that people can get access to it. Um, but this, a, a good starting point is dalecarnegie.com. That's good to know. And and they can probably find the books on there as well, I take it? There, uh, well, you know, you can buy the books on Amazon as a yeah. good place uh, to get those or Books A Million or Barnes & Noble, that type of thing. But the, yeah. the uh, books are very easy to get. Um, and again, I, I'd say, too, How to Win Friends and Influence People is is really the flagship book. How to Stop Worrying and Start Living is a great book. I, I might also humbly mentioned uh, the Take Command book that Michael Crom and I wrote is a new book that's built on Dale Carnegie principles, and it brings in ideas from taking command of our uh, of our thoughts and emotions, which is from How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, take command of our relationships, which is how to win friends, and take command of our future, which is around, uh, you know, it's being intentional about the futures and, that we have. So that's also a book, uh, takecommand.com. People can get information about that. And and. I'm, I'm, as I'm thinking through all of this too, <clears throat> the world obviously changed in 2020 and it got a lot more online, which arguably made these principles even more important, especially with digital communication, because you don't have those human cues that you're working off of when you're communicating in person, uh, which then means that your communication skills are even more important because you're leaning more heavily on those skills rather than the natural part of communication that you're missing when we're talking like this, for example, through, through a computer. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's really true. A couple things happened as a result. I mean, number one, um, communication skills, I think, did become more important. And so now, you know, when we're online, we've got to figure out how to, I can't see all the the, the nonverbal cues and so forth. Um, I gotta be, I've got to be sensitive to, you know, how I'm communicating, how I'm coming off. Um, but another thing that really has happened, which I, I think is important to address, because mental health really is a very, very significant problem in not just our society, but I think societies around the world. You know, people got disconnected a lot in, in during COVID. People are have come back and, and in many cases are afraid or uncomfortable interacting with other people. They'd rather interact via um, instant message or text or something that's non, non you know, uh, uh, non-synchronous, so to speak. Um, yeah. So, so that's also something, and and I, I would also say, you know, as the future, there's a lot of change in the world right now. We talk about AI, we talk about technologies, we talk about robotics, we do all these different things. The world's going to look, I think, very different in five or ten years than it does right right now in many many ways, and so that can cause people um, stress and anxiety. So, you know, how do I how do I manage that? And and these these principles are really an important part of that that process as well. Well, I think. Uh, future state with where the world's going, I think these principles make you more valuable, <laughs> especially in the labor market. <laughs> like if you're 100%. an effective communicator, like me as an employer, someone as an effective communicator is more valuable to me, no matter where they're at within the business. And they're going to be the people I'm thinking of first when it comes to, if, if push really comes to shove, they're going to be, hey, these are our most valuable players because they can get points across, they can speak with people and they can they can work with others effectively. Hundred percent. I mean, the role of teams is going to be really important, and the role of the individual in being effective. So, you know, we think about you know resilience and agility and communication and creativity. You know, if, if we if we're going to have an automation of certain things, what we will have is an automation of of the the, the more processed, more mundane kinds of things that's going to push all of us to really sharpen our saw, all of us to to you really you know up our game, so to speak. So, yeah, I, yeah. in People are still going to be an important part of all of this. So who are the people who are really effective at other people? Who are the people who are effective in leveraging technology and and really being creative and and influencing? Going back to the whole original conversation you brought up about influence, influence would be really important. Mm-hmm. So those those skills are going to become more and more valuable. And it's going to be important for you, for me, for all of us. Um, we talk about taking command, taking command of our own careers, of our own futures. Yes, we want our companies to do that. You know, but no one said to you, Aaron, hey, you need to take time every day to to work on improving yourself, but you've done that. And that's something yeah. that makes you more valuable. And, and I need to do that. And everyone needs to at least have some mindfulness about that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, yeah, it's just um it's just it's so valuable. I'm sitting here thinking. It's just especially we as we've grown our business. You know, we've grown and when it was 15, 10, 15 people, it was easy to communicate because you get everybody on the same calls and you get your points across in a very simple manner. But then as things become bigger and bigger and bigger, it just becomes so much more complex and and, and you need these completely different skills to manage more effectively. But it, it, it's, yeah, no matter where you're at, it is so, so valuable and one of the things I hear construction business owners, leaders say, probably more than anything about people, is if I didn't have the whole people thing, this would be easy. <laughs> and if only that, if only I, it wasn't I, for the people thing, if, right? If only, but it's like, 
it's like saying I wish gravity didn't exist. It, it's like, well, deal with it. I, I don't know what to tell you. But if you look at it uh, negatively, you're probably going to get lesser than results. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to have this, this, this stress, anxiety. It just doesn't make it fun. But if you look at it like this enormous opportunity that I believe it is, that's extraordinary. You can have more fun. You can impact more people. And you can grow the business, grow your career, grow your relationships more than ever before. So rather than looking at it like this curse, it's like, this is, this is a huge opportunity. And I think with this, this workforce reckoning that the construction industry is staring in the face right now, I see it as an opportunity because, hey, yeah, we've done it this way for, for so long and it's got us here. We know it's not going to get us further. And there's going to be people that it takes a while, you know, some people are going to be slow to figure that out. And so if you're fast to figure that out, that opens a lot more doors. You can then leapfrog people. You weren't able to leapfrog even 10 years ago in this market. Yeah, no question. I mean, listen, the, the first and most important thing I think here, which you're touching on goes to mindset, because two people can face the exact same problem with the same set of facts. And one person sees opportunity and the other person sees crisis. Yeah. And what's the difference? The difference is, is how we, we speak. So, you know, for, for you to say, uh, I'm going to look at this and look for opportunity. Um, if, if you have people in the construction industry thinking about where's the opportunity, how do we, I mean, because there are going to be winners and there are going to be losers. There are going to be people who are going to grow and thrive and there are going to be people who won't. They'll go out of business. And the, what, what's the difference? And often it will be around the way that we think, where we find opportunity, whether we can be creative, whether we can communicate and influence and impact other people. How do we do that? But um, ultimately, it does come down. And I, I happen to think, Aaron, that this is, this is an exceptional time in the world for great leaders. There's a crisis in leadership. Everywhere we look around the world, we see these crises in, in leadership, not just yeah. in, in one country, but in, in, in countries all over the world and in companies. And, and for someone to look at this and say, uh, this is the chance for me to, to improve my leadership. I mean, because like, it's, it's easy if people simply... If if they're they're talented and they do great work and I don't have to do much and I mean that that's easy for all of us you know but what do I do when I'm dealing with someone who's difficult what do I do when I'm I'm, I'm dealing with someone who doesn't see things the same way or or doesn't want to be there or doesn't want to work hard um, that's the opportunity for for leadership really to either bring out the best in other people or I mean there's that that, that comment about you change people or you change people. Um, you know, but how am I going to manage my team and how am I going to recruit great people? Um, going back to Alan Mulally, I was at a conference he spoke at not long ago and he said, you know, it all comes down to people. Um, you have great people um, and you can do great things. You have bad people, it's a lot harder. But um, where's the role of leadership? The role of leadership is developing people, bringing out the best in people, getting results that you otherwise couldn't get on your own. And and I think especially because things are so hard in many ways and so dynamic and so constantly changing, this is a great opportunity for really uh, excellent leaders to emerge and develop. Completely, completely. So it's dalecarnegie.com and people can find everything they need to start growing as an individual leader on that site. There's a lot that's there. Um, we do have a YouTube channel. Uh, we are very active on social media, uh, so people can follow us on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm personally very active. 
on both of those platforms, constantly sharing ideas and insights and thoughts and quotes and things like that. So that would be at Joseph K. Hart on both LinkedIn and Twitter, um, at DaleCarnegie.com or Dale Carnegie Training on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, go to YouTube. We've got an Instagram page, TikTok, the whole thing. So um, lots of different ways that, that people can engage with our content. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks for stopping by and I will be seeing you at the end of October. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's going to be here uh, before we know it. It's going to be, and, and listen, kudos to you again on, this is really, you, you, you made a leap of faith. You organized this, uh, this conference because it was important. And uh, I, I'm excited about how successful I know it's going to be. Yeah, I, we're you know we're still nervous about it because we've never done it before. But I think once we do it and and looking back on it, we'll think that was pretty cool. <laughs> that was that was pretty neat. Well, Excellent. Dale Carnegie had talked about all great things in life. Life start with taking a risk. Yeah, you know, and certainly you you put yourself out there. The comfortable thing might have said, "Well, we can just keep doing what we're doing," and what you're doing is you're doing it exceedingly well. Um, something like this is new and different. I, I, I know it's going to be successful. And frankly, if I were in the construction industry, I'd want to be there. I mean, this, this is going to be so valuable. Uh, it's one conference that is going to have so much valuable content. And now you've got great speakers and, and uh, solutions. So I hope, it, uh, I hope it sells out. I think it will. And then my goal is to make everybody that didn't go look and be like, oh, I should have went because that was really cool. That's the chip on my shoulder talking. <laughs> well, I mean, a little bit. This uh, people should have people right now. People are thinking about going. They should have a little bit of a FOMO, fear of missing out, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, what's going to what? What could the difference in your business be if you're there and you're learning and you're taking all of these great things back versus if if you're not, you're just doing whatever you're doing on the day to day. Sometimes we have to take time out uh, and really work on learning and improving, and then come back and we can turbocharge our organization. So that's how I'm, I'm seeing this conference. Exactly. All right, Joe. Well, thank you for stopping by. And uh, I think that's podcast. Awesome. Great to be with you, Aaron.